I know. I know what you're thinking. The show's called Mr. Lou's Movie and Music Reviews, and you're wondering to yourself after four episodes, where's the music? Well, we have an episode for you starting right now. Welcome to episode 5 of the Mr. Lou Movie and Music Reviews. You know, I had so much fun in the last episode speaking with him about the Oscar-winning films of the 1980s that I decided that, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask him right back. You may know him as the great but yet not late Gary Merchant on The Rambling Alcoholics. Today he's here as my buddy, my compadre, my brother-in-arms, Mr. Gary Rumsey. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, you know, after drinking a couple of bottles of wine with you, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I don't even mind too much that I'm sitting in your semen-stained sofa here, dude, but it's all good. Well, one of the things that, that actually drew you and me as friends over the years is the fact that um, not only do we have a love from, for movies and books and politics and that kind of thing, we, more than anything, I think, have an immense love and knowledge of music. And um, have I stated a couple of times on the uh, Rambling Alcoholics, I am a musician. You know that I'm a musician. Um, but your incredible extensive knowledge on records stating from the 50s all the way up to probably well, the 90s, I would say, because, you know, you and I kind of tuned out around the 90s um, is pretty extensive. And that's why I have the pleasure of having you here tonight um, to comment on some of the records. Oh, so, so here's the topic for tonight. And tell me if you dig. Tell me if you dig. Yes. Um, we're going to count down the top 10 greatest records or the best top-selling record, top 10 best-selling records of the 1970s. What do you think of that? Let's do it. All right. But first, we want to, like we mentioned before, we want to do a kind of special uh, mention. We're going to go from, uh, we're going to count down the other 90 records that do not make it onto our list today. And um, I'm going to name the album. Okay. And you're going to, you know, maybe give me a one, two. Maybe you want to rant about these things. I don't know. <laughs> 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 what your, I'm sure which, I will, because uh, I'm sure there's some crap in there. Yeah, there's always crap in all these things. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, these. This is according to the RIAA, which is the Record Industry uh, something or I forget what the other A, the AA stand for. But they are the ones that certify record sales and certifications in the United States for best record sales. We're going to be counting down the records from 1970, January 1st, 1970, all the way to December 31st, 1979, that made this list. So, let's get started. Mr. Rumster, you ready? Let's go for it. All right, 1971, L.A. Woman by the Doors. That's a great record. That's their. That's probably their second best record. I... I probably have to agree with you all right 1972 Which, by the way to me is behind their debut really yeah it's either it could be two or three because you got morrison hotel in the mix but i thought you were going to put morrison hotel before that because uh i mean i love the yeah. debut i think the debut is great yeah it's it, it's a tough tough pick those first three well like the, the first album morrison hotel and la woman they're all great records you can put them in any order you want but I kind of put that debut because I kind of launched them. So you got a L.A. Woman, that debut Morrison was, Hotel. I mean, L.A. Woman in a way is kind of a continuation great. of Morrison Hotel, it seems. But I, I know, think like, I think Morrison Hotel was like the great, 
the great swan song that that every band wishes and longs for because it was such a great great such a blues such a great driven record all right here's a record which i am kind of sh- well we've spoken about this guy many many times and you and i have always wondered why but here he is number 99 rocky mountain high from 1972 by john denver uh, you gotta understand. I mean, John Denver was, you know, in the mid seventies, was a, was a huge star. Um, <laughs> but but that's you know, the question. I mean, Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, I, I, part of it, I think, it was you got to. I think you look at the times. Okay, mid seventies, nation was embittered in the bad economy, or you know, in battle, you stuck in a bad economy. You had the major Watergate scandal going on. And John Denver was just this happy-go-lucky, cheery... Hi, buddy, yeah. I'm John Denver. Well, exactly. He was what America was looking for. This, you know, was, this, was America looking for him, though, really? Well, Were they... <laughs> the kind of guy. It wasn't necessarily the music. I think it was just more that, you know, the whole... You know, Even though the it. guy was, you know, he was an alcoholic, which we know now. But, I mean, but at the time, people were and looking... And may have been drunk the day he crashed his plane into the sea. You know what? Fuck it. We'll go through all 100 records. Fuck yeah. it. <laughs> but just to put that... he I th- It makes sense in the grasp that that was... At a, at a sad time when Americans were out of work, they were struggling to keep up because of hyperinflation. You know, I mean, it was just a pissy time, and you know, yet here comes this young guy with glasses and a smile, and <laughs> you know, cheery and optimistic. Thank God, but I'm a was country this, boy. But was this a good record? It's John Denver. I mean, John Denver's <laughs> list, John Denver is listenable. Okay, I'm gonna put it that way. He's listenable. Is he a great artist? I wouldn't. Yeah, he's not an artist. John Denver's just John Denver. He's a guy you just listen to and kind of just kick back. And you know, I mean, you let it be for what it is. But but at the time, he was huge simply because I think he was. I'll the give clean you. I'll cut, give you. I'll give you American boy that that made America feel good. I'll you know? give you any song. I don't think I'm gonna give you an album by John Denver though. Okay, well, I'm not making the case that it's a great record. I'm just saying it makes sense because it was what. Yeah. Okay. It was just that it was the times that the country was in okay so this was not one of her best records at number 98 i still think her products of the 1960s was the shit Joni mitchell's court and spark have you heard that i'm not a big i mean as we've discussed before yes. i'm not a big Joni mitchell and fan. i'm surprised I mean, by me, that actually i mean for me i mean the blue album is is is, is great that's a great record it's a great truly genuine heartfelt emotional album but the rest of it i'm just i'm not a huge on Joni mitchell i'm just I, Sorry, I, Joni. I'm sure you're a great woman, <laughs> but I just... Hey, you're, you're lucky Stephen still... Or not Stephen, Graham Nash in here. He'd kick your ass, dude. <laughs> now, I like Joni Mitchell. I think Joni Mitchell's a great, phenomenal songwriter, period. Man, male, whatever. She's terrific. Um, Court and Spark was not one of those records that I really was into. Uh, best-selling album, the number 98. This was from 1974. Number, number 97... This comes from 1970, doesn't give me the year, but it's 1973, I'm sorry. What were once vices are now habits. Um, let's go on to number 96. <laughs> because I can't, I am not a Doobie Brothers fan. I, 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 I do not. not understand the appeal of the Doobie Brothers. I've mm-hmm. heard I've heard a couple of their albums and I'm just mm-hmm. like, why? They're, they're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Do you think that's deserved? No, I'm sorry. I don't think no. I mean, put it this way: you know, if you if you have to have a Doobies record, you get the best of the Doobies. Yeah, and they well, just leave it well, at well <laughs> is the best the best of the Doobies is is that shit with Michael McDonald or just what? Okay, well, yeah. I mean, well, there is. There's two best of the Doobies: Volume One and Volume Two. Volume One is the Tom Johnson years, and then Volume Two is the Michael McDonald years. You know, but 
But that's but that's not saying much. That's of like it's not. It's the doobies. I mean, that's like on. that's like saying there's the, there's the Beatles with Pete Best, and then there's the Beatles with Winkle Star. Well, I'm just making the point. I mean, there's some people they love the doobies out there. I'm just not amongst them. I don't. I like Black Water. Um, you know, aside from that, I'm not. I'm, yeah. So, so what I'm gonna I'm say. I'm ready to move on to number ninety six. Okay, let's move on to ninety. <laughs> and number ninety six. Okay. So, um, um, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like Melora Waters in in um, in uh, in Boogie Nights when she's giving out the award to Dick Diggler. I have every one of his albums in the nineteen sixties. I just can't wait to listen to his shit in the seventies. <laughs> um, actually, a very good album, a very pers- personal album for me. Bob Dylan's "Bird on the uh, Blood on the Tracks." Yeah, that's, that's the best of his '70s output. He kind of, you know, he did. I think he dropped Dylan for me. Dropped off big time starting in the late '60s, and but he kind of, I think, "Blood on the Tracks" was. I think after Nashville Skyline, he kind of dropped off. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, that was right. pretty much it. You know, right. but that was kind of a good bounce back for him. It was, it's, it's a solid record, and um, that's the one that's got. Um, that's got Halo up in blue, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so let me ask you, right? So uh, one of the things that turned me on to Dylan, besides my old bandmate Curtis Akatani, uh, was the live version that he did at Budokan of Tangled Up in Blue. You ever seen that where he's yeah, in white face? face yeah. yeah, that isn't that mm-hmm. that's that's just fucking awesome, right? <laughs> All right, moving on. One of my favorite records, actually, and I'm a as 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 a um, our audience may or may not know, um, Gary and I are huge country fans. We're but when we say country, we're not talking about you know Garth Brooks or Tim McGraw or any of those guys. We like the old shit kickers, everything from Hank Williams. I'm a big Buck Owen fan personally. We both like Johnny, of course. We're both big, huge uh, Waylon Jennings fans. As a matter of fact, uh, Gary is wearing a um, a Waylon shirt even as we speak. We're talking about here number ninety-five, "Redheaded Stranger," by the great Willie Nelson. Now that's actually, no, I mean, we've talked about Willie Nelson. I really think Willie Nelson is one of the the top songwriters in country history. I, you Ever, know, he, right? He's an acquired taste because you know the voice is kind of gets in the way. Sometimes. I'm okay with his voice though. Yeah. You know, well, I've eventually it's an acquired taste. People have adapted and and acclimated to his voice. So I, I think mean, they've I acclimated have a lot of appreciation. to. I think they've acclimated to the fact that he smokes joints. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I understand but, he actually quit that because apparently his doctor told him his lungs are no good, so he's got to quit that. So well, be- because everybody thinks that 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 joints or or, or ha- pot's good for you, it's not. It's smoking your fucking lungs. Yeah. But here's the thing. Besides that, um, you and I have talked about Willie Nelson quite a bit. We, you both, you and I both acknowledge the importance of him mm-hmm. in the outlaw movement of the 1970s as far yeah. as country music goes. You can't stand his voice. That's really like your only. Well, it's, thing. A, it's a roadblock, but I have a great appreciation for him because if you know his history, that they tried to make him into pretty much you know an old crooner type in the 60s, right. and right. that's before he had the long hair and the beard right. and all that. He kind of you know he wore suits and he had nice combed hair and all that's that. That's what they tried to do to Waylon. Well, yeah, and then you know Willie pretty much he left Nashville and he went back home to Texas, Austin, Texas where he pretty much paved his own way. And that's where he took off. So you got to have appreciation for Willie to pretty much buck the system that was trying to make him. And he went out and he, he made it his own. He went out and he he truly, he's a self-made man. So you got to give that appreciation to, you know, Is have that am- appreciation for him that he was, you know, that he pretty much kind of threw away what was a certain career. A lot of people were re- recording his songs, but he kind of, he took Patsy the rest Klein of that all the way most, to go out uh, most and, and do what he wanted to do. And, yeah. and he succeeded. So yeah, Patsy Klein was the most famous of them. Yeah. She did his song, uh, 
Crazy. <laughs> crazy. I'm saying crime. I'm thinking Roy crazy Orbison. <laughs> but I, I love Willie Nelson. I've always thought Willie Nelson was great. And, and um, you know, um, Redheaded Stranger is probably not my favorite of his records. You know, Faces and Stages is... Mm-hmm. A, is and I say Faces and Stages because it's not on this list. Yeah. But if you mm-hmm. want to kind of really be... Indo- uh, uh, be I want to say indoctrinated, but really, you know, listen to a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. Redheaded Stranger is not a bad album to start with. Mm-hmm. Phases and Stages to me is my my yeah. his best as, as far as the records I'm go. I'm gonna throw the one prior he did to Redheaded Stranger, and I and I was on the lookout for this record. Right? On the lookout. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I visit a lot on of on the lookout. <laughs> visit, that's a Boogie Nights reference, yes, it by is. the way. But um. <laughs> Anyway, but I had been on the lookout for this record because I visited a lot of record stores, <laughs> and um, it was his pre his one he did before Redhead Stranger. The album's called Shotgun Willie. Shotgun Willie, which That's really, a great album. and I and I finally found a used copy in good shape. I was I bought this record. Did I you just, like it? I liked it. I mean, again, I will say Redhead of Stranger phases and stages might be better records, but this album is very important because it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's it's very inconsistent, and the fact is that he goes from these kind of like country rocker type things right, to, right. These, to these ballads right, in the middle right, of it. Uh-huh. But I mean, it's a precursor to see what the, the path that he was going to pave as he was going forward. It's so, an exciting album. Yeah, it's, it's really, a very important record to listen to. It's getting, one of the shittiest yeah. album covers ever, but it's such a... Yeah. I, I find it to be a really, really good album. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah, I think it's actually, you know, you, if you're going to start start getting into Willie Nelson I think you got to start there right that gives you the idea of what path he was paving as he was going forward I would there. probably jump to to Redheaded Stranger or one of the albums that I'm sure is going to be on this list later which is Stardust which really defined him as, as an artist mm-hmm. alright number 94 not my favorite of his records in the 1970s like uh, <laughs> like the Emperor says in Amadeus a good effort Desire Bob Dylan yeah, I didn't care for it you didn't care for it at all. That's 1976. That's after yeah. Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I felt, I felt he kind of took a big step forward or a step back, or, you know, a new step forward with uh, Blood on the Tracks. He was starting to bounce back, but I think he kind of took a few steps backwards with Desire. That's interesting. Just me. Interesting. I, I, Desire didn't really do anything for me as far as his records mm-hmm. went. It was just kind of like continue. Uh, I guess a continuation of stuff that he may have written during during the time that he mm-hmm. did Blood on the Tracks. Not a bad album, not his best album of the 1970s, because um, we have to admit, after Desire, he went into his whole Christian phase, and so fucked himself up in the 70s. Let's move on. <laughs> um, 19, uh, no, number 93, from 1972, on Apple Records, the first man that the Beatles ever signed onto that, onto that record label. Um, probably his best solo album. Sweet Baby James. James Taylor. Um, I'll just say this. I mean, um, James Taylor bores me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a, you know, a few songs. I mean, I like his, his, his cover of Handyman. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that, but that's later on. I mean, yeah, Sweet I know, Baby I'm James. Just, I'm just Have you heard ba- Sweet yeah, Baby James? I've heard Sweet Baby James. I mean, if I'm going to go with the, you know, his, one of his original songs, I think is, and it's a personal song I know for him. Is, personal. Is, is yeah, fire and rain. You know, I mean, that is a song about his struggle with heroin addiction, going into a place, a girl that he connected with ends up killing herself. Yeah, okay. Well, I, actually, I think this album's a l- no, 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 Sweet Baby James. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty interesting album. Yeah. That's the one that he did after his debut. Yeah. His debut was influential to the Beatles because it influenced uh, George Harrison to write something. Because remember, he wrote a song on that album called "Something in the Way She Moves." Yeah. But um, this was probably his best record. 
And um, after well, that, there is a best record for James Taylor, maybe. But I'm just, I'm not a fan. But, but, and I'm not really either. But I think after this record, you're kind of right. It kind of, Sweet Baby James to me is kind of like what Desire is for Bob Dylan. It was kind of like you're, you're like, eh, okay, it's, it's all right, it's okay. Because how long could he go with that shit, you know? Mm. Now here's a cat that, and and I don't mean this as a pun, <laughs> that that I've always loved. I and you know this to be. Tr- like like uh, Darth Vader says, you know this to be true. I, I've uh, you and I have always had a love for Cat Stevens. Um, this to me is his best solo album. I'm not. I don't understand why it's sold so low. Maybe it was, maybe because it came out before. I'm gonna say it's low. It's what number ninety two. Ninety two. Okay, yeah, but you got to keep in mind how many records were released in the seventies. How many thousands of records? So when you rank up in the top hundred, T for the Tillerman. Yeah, you can't. What do you think of T for that? the Tillerman? That's his. That's his best. Uh, that's that's so his too. best record. But he's got a record that's higher on this list. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I know he's he's gonna have. It's gonna you know he's gonna have a higher record. But for me, this one's my favorite. I, I enjoy this record thoroughly. I have about at least you know from when I was a kid. You know because I was weird and I liked adult music as opposed to kiddie music. Mm-hmm. But I have four Cat Stevens records from the the 70s and of the. They're four. all really great. They're yeah. really good albums. Yeah. yeah. Um, he only had one number one album in the seventies, which was called Catch Bullet Four, Catch which Bullet I have, Four. which is actually the weakest of his. Uh, I agree. Yeah, but see, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like because mm-hmm. T for the Tillerman was really like the first one of yeah, these. Yeah, it's what that... put him on the map. He was exactly. building himself up, but but this one is. I, I do think too. it's. I his think it's a terrific album. This is what has Wild World on it, right? Which no, is... Wild World's on T for the Tillerman. That's what I. That's what this is. Oh, I thought we we're doing teaser in the fire. No, this is T for the Tillerman. Oh, okay. Yeah. So T for the Tillerman does. Let me, have let me Wild issue World. my correction. <laughs> Go, go for it. Okay, no. Um, okay, teaser and the Firecat to me is his best record. I, I got a little his. You know they have such weird names. You kind of get them mixed Absolutely. up. Absolutely. T for the Tillerman is his second best. Which again, this that's the one with Wild World. That's the one. His probably is one of his best known songs. Right. But no, his best is Teaser and the Firecat in my eyes. But you don't go wrong. Teaser, with T for Teaser's Tillerman. the one that has uh, the wind and all that. The other, wind, yeah, okay. baby blue, absolutely baby blue, and all that. Yeah, good record. Very Morning good record. Broken, yeah. I I personally like T for the Tillerman a little better. I just I, that's okay. just that's just a matter of preference. But we're like I said, we're giving our comments to the hundred. Best out. It, it changed. It was supposed to just be top ten, but fuck it. <laughs> All right, number ninety-one. Mm-hmm. This was a gift that you gave me one year for Christmas, or for my birthday. I can't recall, but it was one of the best gifts I have ever received, and it's one of the greatest. I mean, in my mind, it's probably one of the top twenty records I have ever owned, and and that is the great Janis Joplin's last recording in nineteen seventy, uh, Pearl. Well, you stand corrected on that. I didn't get you for your birthday or Christmas. I was on vacation. Vacation? I was on vacation. You were on, on vacation. I already had my copy, but I saw, it was the 180-gram vinyl reissue of it, and I saw it, so that's what I brought you back. So, Thank yeah. you, sir. And and most appreciated because that is, you know, Cosmic... Uh, what I got was them old Cosmic Blues, blues again, Mama. That was not a bad record. It was, yeah. it was a mixed bag. Yeah. But this record was a record that she... I, I have a feeling she just really put a lot of thought in and really wanted to just kind well, of explode she, that's what she, had, she put together a new band for it. And she right. was looking forward. And it's sad because you're looking... It leaves you looking forward. It leaves you wanting more, which, Please you know, tell... Okay, so, so we know that it has her last... Her first, last, and only number one song and her most famous song, which was written by Chris Christopherson mm-hmm. called Me and Bobby McGee on it. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's a story to it of the instrumental, and and this is something yeah, that it's I called would... "Buried Alive in the Blues." Um, they had all the vocals laid down for ten for Not nine the songs. Not the vocals. Not the vocals. 
You just set the vocals. They did. She had, they had all her vocals laid down for for ten for nine songs. Nine of the ten songs. Oh, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Um, and that morning she was supposed to come in and lay down her final vocal track. The producer was one Paul Rothschild who produced all the Doors albums. Yes, sir. And he, as the story, you know, the story Rothschild had told. He's he's since left this world too. But as Rothschild told this world, he began getting worried. She didn't show up, and he knew where she was staying, the hotel she was staying with. On Around Sunset the corner for the Mass Chinese. And so he got out. He walked over to the hotel. When he walked to the hotel and saw her hippie-style Volkswagen bug sitting in the parking lot, his heart sank because he knew something was not right. Um, knocked on the hotel room door, no answer. Got the manager, opened the door. They found Janice in the bathroom. With and, a needle in her arm still. Yeah, so that's why you have that instrumental track, Buried Alive in the Blues, why it's an instrumental because she never got to laying down the vocals for it, which she was supposed to do that morning. And it was an artist, and, and it was an artistic move on the on the um, not only a part of the record company, but as far as Paul Rothschild, because um, on top of that, the the um, record company wanted to remove that track because it didn't have her singing on it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it remains on there is so significant. If you're a Janis Joplin fan, if you're a fan of music altogether, I mean. Janis Joplin has to rank probably in the month of, in my view, about the top three female vocalists that has ever stepped on this planet. And and the fact that you have a song on an album where her vocals were so strong that there is no vocals, it is an artistic touch because mm-hmm. you recognize the fact that on that day at the age of 27, mm-hmm. she left us. And what's awesome about it too, because they could have put it as the last track, you know. Absolutely. He put it. I think. I think it's his fourth song on side one. Absolutely. If I'm correct. So it kind of like it leaves in the middle of it, so you leaves you wondering because you realize what you're missing, what a song is without her voice. It's just, just a song. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're Paul, well, if you're Paul Rothschild in that year, within within six months of each other, yeah. you lose two of the greatest song or, or lead vocalists of oh, all yeah. time. He's producing Janice. He's already been producing the Doors, and yep. Even though at that point, you no, know, nobody was sure Morrison planned to continue with the Doors or not. But yeah, but the thing is, so yeah, the two his two big acts were dead, gone. <laughs> yeah. All right. But again, I'll just say Pearl, great album. But again, the think the the heartbreak of it is that when you hear it at the end, you know, when you get done listening to that record, you you know, it leaves you wondering what was next, and you will never know because it is a masterpiece. Yeah. It is a thorough, utter masterpiece. So mm-hmm. if you if you want, if for anybody who hasn't listened to the great Janis Joplin, you can listen to her with a Big Brother and the Holding Company. You can listen to her with Cosmic Mama. I got them Cosmic Blues again. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to see, I guess a, a, a masterpiece, your Mona Lisa, your Picasso, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, Pearl is that album. Yeah. And again, let's just throw in an honorary mention on that record because that was she did form a new band. She called them Full Tilt Boogie. Full Tilt Boogie. And let's give it some credit because there is some. Some powerful musicianship on that record too. So to give credit to that band too, that you um you said something to me about okay. So Chris Christopherson's most famous song that he's ever written was "Me and Bobby McGee," and we've heard we we've admired two versions of that song, um, Janis Joplin's and Waylon Jennings' version mm-hmm. of that song, and we both said the same thing at the end of that song when it just starts to boogie. Man, I wish I was in the studio at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because, yep. <laughs> man, that must have been a hell of a party, boy. Woo! All right. We move on, sir? Mm-hmm. Number 90. I'm going to give you my comment right now. 
I want to. I want to. <laughs> I want to move on to number eighty-eight, but because we got two, this is awful. But anyways, number ninety, Jethro Thaw, Aqualong. Yeah, let's move on to number. That's number eighty-nine. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to number eighty-eight. Number okay. Eight, I mean, that's, that's number this, ninety. Okay. That's number ninety. Uh, let me just say. Well, let me just head on. Have you ever watched the movie Almost Famous? I'm not sure if Lester Bangs ever really said this, but the character. Lester Bangs in the movie, who was you know the the movie critic, which was played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He has a line in that movie where he refers, uh, he makes a reference to um, the box tops having a number one hit with the letter, which was a minute and fifty seven seconds long. This is what he said. He said the letter by the box tops is one minute and fifty seven seconds. It takes them less than two minutes to accomplish what it takes Jethro Tull hours. <laughs> To not accomplish. That is, I think that says it all about Jethro Tull. Whether that was a fictional line thrown into that movie, or if Lester Bangs ever really said that. If Lester Bangs really said that, God bless him. Spot and on. I don't believe in God. Spot on. And I don't even yeah. believe in God, but hey, God bless his ass. Because I am not. Anyways, yeah. number eighty-nine. I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones, but number eighty-nine. As we break into the eighties here, sticky thing. Let me break into the eighties. That was the seventies. We're in the 70s. No, as far as the 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 numeration. Oh, okay. This is number 89. Oh, the 80s. Okay, Okay, yeah. good. So this is uh, Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers, if which has gonna, what? Uh, wild Horses? Has Wild Horses, Brown Sugar. Mm. It's got uh, Dead Flowers on it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm. it, for the Stones, it's probably it's a good record, but I don't think, I, to me, I don't think there is a straight Stones album overall. Stones are one of those bands. They got good songs here and there. The rest of it, it's, you hear this... The Stones. The Stones, let me put it this way. You heard one Stones album, you heard them all. Pretty much. That's exactly how I've always felt about the Stones. Mm-hmm. Now, trust me, I'm a, I'm a, as a musician, I'm very influenced by 60s, especially British rock. You know, as you know, the Beatles are my favorite band, uh, but I admire other bands like Cream, The Who. I'm, I'm really into that whole kind of blues rock scene that they presented. And I've tried with the Stones. I've tried. People have given me record after record after record to listen to Exile on Main Street, their Black and Blue, their Greatest Hits, mm-hmm. and High Grass and Low Tide or whatever that's High called. High Tide and Green Grass. Right, that, that, I've tried. The, I've, the Stones are just pretty, they're one of the bands to me, you know what, you get the Greatest Hits albums, you got what you need. And, and But see, and, the, and that's the thing, for example, you know, getting into another field of arguing, you know, I, I get I get slack because, you know, a mutual friend of ours thinks that I just kind of stand my ground. I don't. I actually do the research. I will sit there and listen to these records just to see what my point of view is. Do, do does it change? And I'm telling you, to me, the Stones, I, I'll agree mm-hmm. with you. You hear one record, you've mm-hmm. heard them all. They stick. They stuck to a formula. Mm-hmm. They stuck to a formula. And they decided, hey, you know what? And a lot of people see them, you know, it's kids. You know what they remind me of when people go see them nowadays? Now, if the Beatles, for example, say all four of them were alive and they reunited, I would give up my rent check to go see them. Because what they did in the 1960s was just fucking, you know, change the face of music, right? We can agree on that. The Stones, for almost 50, almost 60 years now, since, I don't know, since 1968, pretty much sound the same. Yeah. And, and 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 it's like why? And, and I think a lot of the people that go see them, it's it's either a great night out or, or just an yeah. or like Al Pacino said in in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh oh, you're you're gonna give me your nostalgia file, <laughs> you know? Well, That's what I think of the Stones. And not to, you know to to dismiss anybody thinking that we're arrogant about this. I'm gonna state this much. 
music, as far as I'm concerned, is all a matter of opinion. This is Absolutely. just my opinion of the Stones. I mean, because I know I'm committing blasphemy to a lot of people. <laughs> I've met, a, I've crossed paths with a few people in my life, and the Stones are just everything. You what know? are you talking about? But for me, I mean, like I said, I mean, I like a lot of Stones songs. There's a lot I don't care for. I mean... The Stones were just, you know, like I said, they were. They were a singles band trying yeah. to pretend to do great yeah, albums. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you, you know, and they really, Sticky as you said, they had a formula. They kind of stuck with it. They really never broke new ground. And you know, they kind of, you know, they did have a period where they kind of got into the disco craze. Where they did like, you know, Miss You and <laughs> Emotional Rescue. You know, that was about that was about the extent of, of progression from the Stones. You know, hey, we saw Gary. them do a little bit of disco. You know. Hey Gary, I'm here for your emotional rescue. All right, thank you. <laughs> okay. So, when the when the Rolling Stones got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the inductor was one of my guitar heroes, one man that really influenced me till no end, uh, Pete Townsend of the Who, and he said, "To me, the Rolling Stones are the epitome of British rock." And as much as I love the man, and as much as I've been influenced by him musically, I have to cordially and respectfully disagree and say to him to me the who are the epitome of british rock as far as what you would see live and the excitement of what rock and roll is and stuff now again it's you know and i want to say this to the audience when you look at when you look at the friendship that gary and i have had over 20 almost 20 over 20 years now um we don't agree on basically a lot of things especially politically and all this other stuff and the who is one of those bands the who to me is one of the most influential most incredible bands that has ever stepped on a stage and we're going into number 88 who's next which you agree is probably their best work for me it is right but you don't like the who give me my position on the who is this absolutely i'm i'm all ears <laughs> They're a frustrating band for me. Why is because that? Because I'll tell you why. No doubt Townsend's a great guitarist. No doubt that John Entwistle was a great bass player. No doubt that Keith Moon was a great rock and roll drummer. Right. Roger Daltrey has a great rock and roll voice. Right. But to me, so many of these guys' songs are just silly to me. And that's just how <laughs> I that's just how I feel. I mean, I mean, I would go to see a Who concert, no doubt about it. I know that they're great showmen. I know that. I mean, I would go see them, but I just I don't dig a lot of their output. See, and to me, and that's just, and that, and, that, and, that, and it's the songs. It's not the musicianship. It's not their abilities as 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 individual musicians and vocalists. It's just, it's it's just. I don't care for a lot of the songs, and that's just. But who's? But when we get into this album, who's next? Which I, for the most part, I can listen to this album and thoroughly enjoy it from start to finish. I mean, you know, I mean, it's. I mean, I'm not a. I mean, I, I think it closes with "Won't Get Full Again" if I'm correct. That's correct. Which is not one of my. But I can still listen to the song. It's an exciting song. It's it really. It starts off with that. And it's pretty relevant to as yeah. far as, for, for example, like the political atmosphere today. You know, meet the new boss. Yeah. Same as the old boss. <laughs> yeah, true. Right. But, but the album opens up with Bob O'Reilly, right. which I, I love your father's analogy because he says every time he hears that song open up, I think he said he feels like he's in Vegas hearing a slot machine spinning out money. <laughs> <laughs> he, he told me that. I remember he came on the radio at one of the parties at your parents' house and he mentioned that. He said it sounds like a slot machine. <laughs> Which is probably true. But the thing is, but, the, but I always point that out. It's got that little synthesizer opening. But the thing what kicks in, the thing that's always grabbed me about that record is when 
Moon's drums kick in. Yes. There's just so there's an element to this guy's drumming that that you hear in that when those drums just kick in. That was just totally different. And then and you could tell it's an overdub. They overdub the drums over the synthesizer, but it's just it's a total kickouse drum playing. And I, so, I give I tip my hat to the Who and all the aspects of their musical abilities and everything. But I just don't dig a lot of the songs, and that's just kind of where I'm at. But who's next? It's a pretty good, pretty good album. That's from 1971. Mm-hmm. My my view on the Who is has always been this. Um, the Who, you have, you have. I think arguably, in my point of, in my personal point of view, you have arguably the greatest bass player ever to strap one on. You have probably the greatest and most iconic rock drummer that has ever stood behind a kit. Pete Townsend epitomized what guitar playing on a stage was because a lot of people, when I was growing up as a guitar player and I was trying to learn how to, you know, emulate somebody, listen to Keith Richards, he's a great rhythm player and all this other stuff. And I would listen to the Stones and I just, I, I just found no inspiration. But when I would hear, when I would hear Pete Townsend, Pete Townsend isn't Eric Clapton as far as a lead player. He's not in, he's not a, a, a Steve Vai or any. But Pete Townsend, man, can keep a fucking rhythm and just rock your ass to, to from here to, you know, who knows where. And Roger Daltrey is arguably one of the greatest voices rock has ever produced. Yeah, he's got a great rock and roll voice. A great right. voice for that. And, and, for, and this is where you and I see things different. To me, albums like like uh, like uh, A Quick One While He's Away, Meaty, 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 Big and Bouncy, Tommy, Quadrophenia, which to me is a phenomenal masterpiece as far as recorded music has ever been you know and and even who's next who's next to me is probably their third best record you know but i think we it's kind of like what you were saying earlier i guess we kind of see things in a little bit of a different light to me you know who's next is is a great record quadrophenia to me is a masterpiece it's a it's just it's just it's just every time i listen to it I just have to stop and just have to sit there and go, man, <laughs> man. What's on Quadrophenia, by the way? Quadrophenia is a, the real me, Love Rain on Me. Okay, yeah. that's, that, that's a great song, Love Rain on Me. Yeah. I knew that one. I knew that one. But that's yeah. a great album. That's yeah. a great fucking record, you know. All right. All right. So who's next? I think it's a little low at 88, but hey, you know. But this, this, is, is, this is just based on sales, right? Exactly. Okay. This is 1971. Okay. In 1970... A cat by the name of, <laughs> uh, and no pun intended, Cat Stevens. This is the album you were talking about earlier, okay. Teaser and the Fire Cat. Yeah, now this one is his best album to me. Okay. Now, you're not going to go wrong with either T for the Tillerman or Teaser and the Fire Cat. They're both great records, but Absolutely. this one just gets a slight edge over T for the Tillerman. Because it has the, 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 the wind? The wind. Got, That's a great yeah. song. You know what? That's exactly what we're talking about. It opens about. up with the wind. You know? Exactly. And you, were, and you were talking earlier about Lester Bangs. Yeah, that song. Again, a minute and, th- minute and 30 seconds long. A minute and 30 seconds long. It's such a beautiful fucking mm-hmm. tune. Because what else did he need to say after that? Yeah. Nothing. You know, there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, Cass Stevens the folky, you know, but it's, a, it's still, I, I, I enjoy his work. And, you know, like I said, this one, this one, I think it gets a slight edge over the over T for the Tillerman. I actually thought T for the Tillerman would be the bigger seller because this one precursed it, came out before T for the Tillerman. I thought this one would kind of set the stage for that, but... And that that's kind of what's surprising about me because in my view, mm-hmm. T for the Tillerman's a better record. Yeah, and to me, that's also kind of, it's really more of his best known record because... Right, because it's got Wild World yeah. on it, which is probably, arguably, his better known song. Yeah. All right, very cool. Since we've already spoken about two of his records. All right, now this one... And number 86. 86, okay. 
I'm not too sure why this is on here, but you have to kind of give them credit for being very, 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 very popular in the 1970s, and that's the Carpenters. This is an album called The Song For You. Number 85 is... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was just... I'm going to say this, okay? I mean, I'm sorry. I mean... Okay, I'm trying very hard here, my friend. I can tell you that. <laughs> the Carpenters were you, people don't realize how they, they were big. They were. They okay? were huge. You know, and I, I mean, let me just put it away. The, 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 the funny thing about the Carpenters is this, okay? They, you know, they were big because I think the parents felt safe with them. You know, it was this brother sister duo. They were clean cut, nice, and nobody knew the truth about them, you know? And I think it's just great that they got but invited. These are parents of the 60s. Yeah, but I think what's I think what's great about it is that they got invited you know, in the early '70s to play at the Nixon White House because, you know, President Nixon wanted to display that you know that all America's youth weren't on drugs and they we're were all on they, drugs. They, they were all clean, they, you know, they, 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 clean, they were clean cut like these clean two. But yet, but yet, you know, you had one that you know had an eating disorder, and the other guy was, a, <laughs> of all things, was addicted to quaaludes. So I think how, <laughs> how is fucking Richard Carpenter addicted to goddamn quaaludes? That's just the point. I'm just. <laughs> This is what I'm just gonna say. I mean, okay. I mean, they were they, you know, in a different way. I guess they were fucked up as the rest of the '70s groups. But I just I don't get the that's carpenters. like that one guy from the Everly Brothers being on fucking cocaine mm-hmm. for ages. Yeah. <laughs> You're the Everly Brothers. You're saying you yeah, but you saw the feeling. cocaine come to a head on a stage at Knott's Berry Farm when Don Black <laughs> fell with the guitar over his back. That's awesome shit. But the Carpenters... I'm sorry, not the Everly Brothers. The, 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 the Righteous Brothers. The Righteous Brothers, yeah. Well, that yeah. guy sang, I lo- You Lost That Love in Fe- He sang, he sang uh, the, the, the one from Ghost. What's the name of that yeah, song? But Bobby Hatfield saying, yeah, he died of a cocaine overdose. How, do you you know? die? How does that guy die from cocaine? <laughs> or a heart attack induced by cocaine or whatever yeah, the case Yeah, from years of fucking using yeah. it. Yeah. Ugh, but anyway. this back to the Carpenters, I don't get it. I, the, the music is just too <laughs> sappy, too sicky, too sweet. You know, it, it, it's um, kind of sad. There is, there is a sadness well, element the to the Carpenter's song. Karen Carpenter's voice, yeah. I mean, let me just put it this way. There's a famous picture of her. She's playing on the drums, and she's wearing a shirt that says Lead Sister, L-E-A-D, Sister. And every time I see that shirt, I just, I just envision the L changing to a D. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that, that is that's part of my what sick I mean? humor. I'm a sick person. I have a very sick yeah, sense of humor. Right. We're but, all going to die. So, But I'm, I, just, I, did, I never got but, the but, Carpenters. I don't but, get it. I mean, I, I get the element that they were sad because when you listen to a song like Close to You, that's not a happy song. That's actually no, it's not. It's a shitty little fucking song. Yeah, but it's like, put, I mean, but let me put it. Is there a Carpenter song where you, you sit down where you actually say, "I like that song"? Hold on, let me think. <laughs> I'll say this much. <laughs> You know, in the early 90s, you know, they put out this Carpenter's tribute album, all these new wave I alternative remember that. artists right, put out. Right, by, right, it was right. called If I Wore a Carpenter. Right. Sonic Youth did a, do a killer version of Superstar, though. <laughs> Which is probably their best. <laughs> it might be their best. It was written by Leon Russell. Absolutely. Yeah. I know who, yeah. But the thing is, I, I, I didn't dig their version, but when I heard Sonic Youth do I thought, ah, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so this, give my hats off to Sonic Youth. You actually, for about four minutes, make the Carpenter's cool. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Yeah. Now, you and I were talking pre-show about this album, and you're like, no, no, no. I thought this was a pretty good record. You disagree. All right, number 85. Don't shoot me. I'm only the piano man. The piano player. Piano player. I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> um, this is, I, I am a huge 
Elton John fan of his albums. Yes, um, I agree. For a period from 1970 to 1976. But this this album came out at the end of 72. Now, this album, though, is the weakest of his output. Um, It does have the big hit single off it is Daniel, of course. Daniel, Um, my brother. He does have a cool song on there called Texan Love Song, which if you... If you got it access to YouTube or something, I'll look that song up. It's really cool. It's about Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics about an experience they had playing in Texas, you know, and uh, uh-huh. huh? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. But, no, this uh, the song's called Texan Love Song. It's off that album. It's actually a really great song. It's about them coming across these big Texans and and cowboy hats, not liking these hippie guys. And <laughs> um, but no, it's it's not a great album. Um, Elton John has a lot of great albums. This one is probably the. It's an okay album. I mean, well, it's 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 got to fight off Caribou for his weakest of his output during that period. But well, Caribou shit. I mean, yeah. that, that that. But I, I actually did yeah. dig this album. All right, so we move on. Number eighty four, which I was kind of queuing on, and I kind of guess I kind of gave away. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're yeah. not a okay. So we both can agree that we're not, we've never been, and probably never will be <laughs> a big, uh, big uh, Paul McCartney solo album guys. You know, for my money, I've always, I've always been more of a John Lennon, George Harrison guy. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not gonna take away McCartney's importance. See, McCartney had this. This is what McCartney brought to the table in the whole. Linda McCartney partnership. Right. McCartney must be an owner of a lot of hats. <laughs> because this guy's got so many hooks you can hang your hat on. Yeah, pretty much. And that's what it is. Paul McCartney, he comes up with some great hooks. I mean, his lyrics are silly for the most part. For the right. most part. Paul McCartney can write a serious song. I'm not taking that away from him. But most of his stuff is serious or silly. Right. I mean, this song is silly. Martha, or not, Martha, my dearest, Seely, um, Jet. I mean, a lot of silly Sea Moon. These are silly songs that make no sense. Silly? But they They're... got hooks. They got hooks. They got catches. McCartney, is, he, he come, like you said, he comes up with great hooks. And give him that much credit. And he is, you know, he's a great bass player. He does have he's some a, great bass He's a great and... bass player. But you know what? On my 18th birthday, my mother said, hey, what do you want to, what do you want as a gift? And I, I was a big subscriber of Rolling Stone magazine at the time, so Rolling Stone magazine. And that's when it was actually a magazine, not, you know, something you see on on, on Facebook or whatever. And and he was advertising an album called All the Best, which is supposed to be his greatest hits from his solo to his wings years, right? And so I asked her to do it. She goes, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So I, I she bought it for me and I was playing it. And I have to admit that had it been a CD, mm-hmm. I would have skipped about two thirds of the songs. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just not a fan. That's that, that's the album to me that also made me realize that you know I that his solo years weren't as great as I thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, and I love like, the guy. I love the Beatles. I love and like I said, in Paul McCartney, I think he brought that. That's what he brought to the table in the whole Lennon McCartney thing. I mean, I mean we Lennon, was, Lennon was Lennon was Lennon was the guy that went out on the ledge. He was the one that put his balls in the chopping block and Harrison do whatever. Too. Harrison too. But yeah, but McCartney didn't write. Harrison kind of did. He was a lone wolf. Harrison was a lone wolf. You know, Linda McCartney, they kind of, even though most of their songs were written by one or the other, but they kind of, you know, had their input other. See, McCartney had the ability when Lennon kind of went really off the rails, went off the deep end on things to kind of bring the song back with a hook in a way. But right. 
But 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 it, but it still was shit. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was very. I mean, look, you and I were like kids in the fucking seventies, and so yeah, when I heard like you know this shit, I was like, oh yeah, it's Paul McCartney. It's great. Like like same thing I say about Kiss. Hey, they wore makeup. They look cool. But when I listen to the records as as an older guy, I'm like. These records kind of suck. <laughs> yes, it was Kabuki rock, but pretty much. McCartney. I mean, this was a Beatle. I mean, this was that's that's and that's and I, <laughs> I think that's pretty much what sustained his career through the seventies. Reason why he was the most commercially successful Beatles solo is is simply because the hooks. Because of this right here. Yeah, he had what eight or nine number one singles. Yeah, nine was, number one singles. Yeah, as a solo artist. I yeah. mean, because the guy had hooks. These songs, they may be silly. They may think this is a stupid song, but damn, I, I, you, you find yourself listening. You're there humming your head to yeah, it. Yeah, humming your fucking head to it. All right. Yeah. Number 83. Band on the Run. Is that his best record? Well, that's what you're playing right now. Exactly. As, as far as his output goes. It's very I hard only because... Own, I only own three McCartney solo albums. I own Venus and Mars. I which own is Band shit. on the Run. Which, yeah, it's all right. And I have Red Rose Speedway. Which and, is shit. And of those three, this is the best. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so here's number eighty-three. Mr. Denver comes back. See this one again, Don Denver, the the happy-go-lucky, folky, made America feel good in a time of great despair. Let's right. just leave it at that. Back, <laughs> back home again is his record in nineteen seventy-four. That's got Annie's song. It's got "Think I'm a Country Boy." I, I know, I know these records. I have to admit, I have a few. Well, we you know, both do. We're, you know, we grew up with this yeah. shit, so. Well, actually, I'll put it. I think they were my mom's records, but I have them now. Your mom was a John Denver fan? Oh, she liked John Denver, Get yeah. Get the fuck out. Even my mom didn't like John Denver. <laughs> I mean, come on. He was an amiable bug guy. He was a nice, smiley guy. I mean, like I said, John Denver. My mom thought that was He was the right was man for the right times. Let's just put it that way. My mom thought that was suspicious that he was. Kind of, you would say that today about, like, uh, Joel Alstein. <laughs> yeah, but Joel Alstein. <laughs> Joel Osteen's selling a false <laughs> message to people, but uh, for, for a lot of money. John Denver, he just sold the country what it wanted at the time. Feel good, uplifting, happy, go lucky guy, you know, playing these songs. Thank God I'm a country boy, you know, and dang, you know, you fill up my senses. And uh, all right, yeah, let's move on from John Denver. He is what he is. He's John right, Denver. So that was number eighty-three. Number eighty-two, the best-selling album of the nineteen seventies was had this song. Who is it? You're here right now. I have to listen to this fucker pontificate for two minutes about his fucking song. Who is it? Jesus Christ, he's that he's on here again? It's John Denver again. Now I didn't know he's a pontificator. Okay, let's just move on. We said enough. Of all that needs to be said about John Denver. What is this called? An evening with John Denver. An evening with John Denver. This was his live album. And this the is only, the only evening about John, with John Denver I want to hear is from a groupie. I want to hear what he was like. I'm just curious to see what he if he did it with a big smile on his face or what. I, I <laughs> of course know. he did it with a big fucking smile, man. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Thank God I'm a country boy. Woo, Woo! baby, you like that? Yeah. yeah. Woo! Okay, move on. <laughs> but why was he huge, man? I told you already, he was the right guy for the times. It was a shitty time in America. Mid-70s, bad economy, scandalized government, hyperinflation. People couldn't afford jack shit. Gas prices <laughs> went over a dollar a gallon, which was a big deal at the time. 
Shitty time in America. John Denver made America feel good. Number 81. Before we, before we break in. Ready? Mm-hmm. Ah, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes, sir. This is a band you used to hang out with. Yeah, well, not, I didn't hang out with them, per se. <laughs> you hung out with them, dude. <laughs> but I'm just saying that Mr. Lou here used to go to high school with the, the son with the of... Son. Uh, of uh, Philip the, Bailey. The, 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 of the high tenor of the band, Philip yeah. Bailey. Yeah. His name was Sir Bailey. Yeah. And, yeah. So I always tease him that he hung out with Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> the Ways of the World. I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. I, I mean, do too. I think they're great. And this was, yeah, that does have the, their only number one, surprisingly, their only number one pop hit. How is that their only number one song? Dude? Yeah, What's I know they have a, the various number ones on the R&B charts, but their only number one pop hit. But our Earth, Wind, and Fire, huge ensemble, huge band. Exciting band to watch on stage and concert at the time. Yeah, I, I love her. I love. I pretty much love ninety percent of the output of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Great band. They were great, man. I I, I really wish I could have hung out with them a little more. Mm-hmm. I would have said, Hey, man, I could I, I could be your dude. And they're like, I don't want you to be my dude. <laughs> but yes, I did go to school with uh with Sir Bailey. Man, you know. You also went do? to school with the Doors too, or you hung out with the Doors. I went to school with uh, with Robbie Krieger Jr. So, mm-hmm. yes. and if you're here in LA too, you're familiar with Channel Five News. Did he hung out with the Channel Five News <laughs> team too? <laughs> hung out with the legendary Hal Fishman. Hal Fishman. All right, number eighty. Before yeah. we go into the seventies. Yeah, okay, that's Bad Company, and that's pretty much how I feel I'm in when I put in a Bad Company record. I feel like I'm in some Bad Company. Not a fan. Now, this song here is probably the best of their output. It's called Shooting Star. Yeah, it's probably... It's a cool little song, but it's got the sloppiest guitar solo you'll ever hear in the exactly. middle Exactly, it. and it's from an album called Straight Shooter, which really didn't have anything other than this song, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of interested to see why. It's probably because it came after their debut album, which was called mm-hmm. Bad Company, which had Bad Company on it and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But this was, their, this was the album before that, and, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm not a fan. I remember you and I heard the song one time, and we were like, "What?" It's a catchy little song, but I mean, it's not. It is what it is. Okay, it's about the rock and roll lifestyle. Blah blah blah. All right, so let's get on. All right. So the next one. Are we allowed to play this music over the thing, or without without any copyright infringement? Number seventy-nine. Okay, so this is Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy by Elton John, right? Yes, sir. This album holds a distinct uh, notoriety about it. This is the first album to ever debut at number one. Elton John was so huge by the time this album came out in 1975 that his album debuted at number one. And yet this is the album, the only hit single on this album is what you're hearing right there. (laughs) <laughs> it's an autobiography. It's an autobiographical album that him and um, Bernie Taupin wrote but they together had about the their about their early days when they first got together and started writing songs together. But it has one of the dumbest fucking lines ever. Well, yeah, but you have to understand, Sugar Bear was the name of the, some guy friend of theirs, and he was a guy that. When and keep in mind, the lyrics. A lot of people think the song's about a suicide attempt. That's what I thought. The song is really no. It's about when Bernie Taupin and this guy, and his name was Long John Baldry. That's who Sugar Bear is in the song. When they talked him out of not marrying the woman, he was about to marry a banker's daughter. 
A banker's daughter. Yeah. If you listen to the lyrics, listen to you. Someone saved my life tonight, Sugar Bear, and that was the guy that talked about marrying her. You almost had your hooks in me, didn't you, dear? You almost had me altar bound. See? Keep in mind, the song's totally about them talking about marrying this girl because I think they both knew that Elton John liked uh, liked his sex in a different way. <laughs> All right. So, but the question is, as far as his albums go, it's a good album, not his best. It's a good effort. It's better than the Don't Shoot Me, I'm the Piano Player, but Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. 70, it's a good album. 78. Okay. 78. So, it was our first live album. First live album. With canned applause, by the way. <laughs> Which they commonly did with live albums back in the day. I don't know if this has live, but I don't think this has Well, they always overdub the, the, the make the applause more loud than that. Who is this? You're asking who this is? I can't hear it from here. Keep in mind, I got hearing loss in my right ear. Yeah, and you just pointed to your left ear. <laughs> right. right hand, all right? Don't hit the fucking one. Now I can hear it. Okay. I'm surprised. Yeah. I didn't know they had another. That was... Okay, that's Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes, it is. That's, an, that's their uh, live album called Gratitude. Oh, okay. I, 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 gotta, I, have to, I can't say too much about it because I never actually heard it. I don't buy a lot of live albums. Why don't you buy a lot of live albums? I just don't. I'd rather hear the studio output. If I want to hear a live album, I'll actually pay money and go to their concert. Even though in the 70s I was a child, so I couldn't go to any concerts. Outside the one my mom <laughs> took me to. Well, you know. Which, was, by the way, was Paul McCartney, by the way. It was his uh, Wings we, Over America tour, if I remember. You went to that. I went to it. I have very little memories of it, but I was probably about five or six years old. Huh. Interesting. But I remember being there. And I remember all I wanted to hear was the damn Someone's Knocking on the Door song. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was his big hit at the time. What can you say? Ah, so, so I mean, I've heard this record. And, it's, I mean, it's a good live album. It's not, it's not, you know. I mean, I don't mind live albums. I always kind of like, to me, live albums are kind of hit and miss. You know, mm-hmm. but what are you going to do, right? All right, so number 77 mm-hmm. had one of the most famous songs ever. So Mr. Lou likes to leave you in suspense of hearing this. Is, of course, you obviously know this is Queen. This is called A Night at the Opera, 1975. Right. 1975. And number 73, mm-hmm. do you think that's kind of low? Well, this was actually this is where Queens took off, so it's not it's not surprisingly low because you know bands you know usually when they have their big selling albums they have a few precursors before that. This is I where thought Queens Sheer Heart Attack was a great album. Well, yeah, they had Sheer Heart Attack, they had Queen One, Queen Two, Sheer Heart Attack, which it's slowly them building, but this was really their commercial breakthrough. Absolutely, but so, I, I, and you know but what? It is a, but it, I will say it is a great album to start to finish. Right. My favorite track on this is not even what you're hearing. It's actually the lead-off track on it. It's called Death, Death on Two Legs. Great song. It's a great dig that the Queen did towards their manager that they had fired. No, I'm in love with my car. That's okay, the, well, that's, a, that that's the third track. That's a, that, that's a Roger that Taylor song. song. Yeah. yeah, I love that song. I'm in love with my car. You can't rip on that one. But no, but Death on Two Legs, great great way to open up an album. I mean, it just kicks ass. And this is this has also got one of his most... Uh, Favorite songs by the Chicks called "Love of My Life" is on this record as well. I know. Um, 
uh, when I first heard this song, I was actually living in Guatemala, and back then, um, this is before they... I smuggled Mr. Lou into America <laughs> illegally, by the way. But what? But one of the things that um, one of the things that really kind of uh, turned me on to rock music was this because they used to have um, they used to have instead of commercials in Guatemala, they used to play music videos, and this was one of the ones that they played. So I saw this. At the time, before. they were called promotional films. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Which is really kind of like a disappointing record, but uh, not a fan. But it had this song on it. Another live album. Yes, sir. This is Leonard Skinner, One More for the Road. That is correct. This is an album that they released after they, unfortunately, most of the band perished in a plane crash. This was the this was the number 76th biggest record mm-hmm. of the of the 1970s what do you what is your view on uh what is your view on runner skinner Leonard skinner well of course you know southern rock really in the 70s kind of has three faces there's the allman brothers with Leonard skinner then then to a lesser extent the marshall tucker band absolutely and then um, other ones that came out be like 38 yeah. special and all that shit. yeah, yeah. i kind of push marshall tucker aside I, could, I mean to me the two top epitome of southern rock is the allmans and Leonard skinner Almonds kind of had more of the blues slant to it. Absolutely. Okay, Leonard Skinner went more for the rock. Edge. I was more into the almonds. Yeah. To be honest, yeah, I love both bands, but Leonard Skinner to me, I mean, it was really the, it was three albums. Okay, I mean, he had their debut called Pronounced Leonard Skinner. Right. Um, their second one was another great record called Second Helping. Second I can't Helping's remember the name of the last one they put out before the plane crash. Fire crap. or something. Or yeah. Something, yeah. Which was a, which was kind of because they kind of started to drop off. They had a lot of personnel change in the middle there, yep. and they were trying to find themselves again. I think they started to find themselves again towards that last record. But right. I, I like Leonard Skinner. I don't. I, I got I have to admit again, another. It's another live album that I've never really listened to. I didn't care so, for. It. I heard it. I didn't really yeah, care for. Yeah. So, it. but other than that, I mean, Leonard Skinner. You know, again, you know, great Southern rock, rock and roll band. I mean, number seventy-five. Mm-hmm. What's number seventy-four? <laughs> Sorry, I am okay. What is this? Is Steve Miller band "Fly Like an Eagle"? Right. That is their album called "Book of Dreams." Book of Dreams. Book of Dreams. You and um, me, we had a talk about this not that long when we watched Austin City Limits with Steve, Steve Miller. Absolutely, yeah. And we sat there and we go, now Steve Miller, if you haven't heard, is actually a child prodigy of one Les Paul. Yes. And and if you don't know who James you yeah, we talked about it, we watch him play and it's like, well, it's almost like watching Ke- you know, watching Keanu Reeves believing he studied under Stella, Ad- Stella, Ad- Stella Adler. Or, or Marlon Brando, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, if you guys Well, that's what I'm saying. If you're watching Keanu Reeves, you think, well, he studied under Stella Adler. You'd have right. the same response. Steve, Ad- Steve Miller studied under... Les Paul. Les Paul? And if you guys don't know who Les Paul <laughs> is, look Les Paul up. And even a, one of the most famous guitarists in the history mm-hmm. of rock music was named after him. I, I don't understand Steve Miller. I really don't. I mean, um, he had a couple of great hits in the in the seventies, but as far as albums goes, I've heard this yeah, album. Yeah, I've success. heard Book of Dreams, and mm-hmm. I've heard Abacadabra, and I've heard, you know, <laughs> it, it's a shit. That, it, it was all right. I mean, it wasn't great. I like the Joker, and that's it. That's pretty much it. I will for leave me. it at that. Well, the album The Joker sucks. The song's cool. Well, I'm talking. That's what I'm saying. The song The Joker. That's it. Yeah. 
All right, let's move on. <laughs> That's what I said. Like, let's move on to number 74. <laughs> no, 74 ain't that much better because this is one of the worst fucking starting offs. And you and I have even talked about this. As a matter of fact, uh, on our yearly wine trip, when we take a, you know, when I used to take my ex-wife and, you know, our my daughter and all this stuff, we hated this fucking song when it popped up on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is why I don't like James Taylor. This is a shit song. This is that JT album we were talking this about. This is off of JT. Okay, this is well, us. it should be called just. It should be called JC. Just crap. <laughs> I mean, what? Well, okay, you know what? This is, right now. I'm getting pissed off because you know what? There's certain songs when they come on the radio, it it could set me from the greatest mood ever into a complete pissed tirade. And this does it right here. This one right here. I hear this song and I get pissed off. Turn it off. <laughs> I will. So, so we were at, we're up at seventy three right now. Yes. I'm I'm afraid this isn't gonna make you feel any better, because I think this fucking record sucks. I think this goddamn band fucking sucks. And here we go. So this is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm fucking seeing, I'm okay. seeing Gary Ronzi. I'm fucking jumping off my balcony here. So if you, this is sticks the grand illusion, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the great late rock critic Lester Bangs. <laughs> Lester Bangs, I believe it was Lester Bangs. It I'm was correct. Lester stand, Bangs. If I'm taking Lester Bangs, I'm using somebody else's words. I stand corrected, but he described it this much. He wrote about. He was reviewing one sticks album, and he said. For those of you that don't know, Styx is named after a Greek mythology uh, river right. that leads into Hades. Right. The river Styx. Right. And Lester Bangs said, I epitomize, or I categorize our music as a journey down such river. <laughs> <laughs> because of that to hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what he said. He said, <laughs> to me, it's one of the greatest. I think it nails the criticism of Sticks right on the head right there. All right. Number you're named s- after a mythical river in hell. Well, your music is a journey down that <laughs> river. Number 72. And, I, and as a matter of fact, you and I saw a great documentary on her yesterday. And I'm, we're both huge fans. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. Simple Dream. Exactly. Randstad. Big selling album. Not her one of her best albums, but it's a good album. It's a very good album. That's like at um, the epitome of a rock and roll stage, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because song has most. It has "Blue by You" on it too. Right. Which, yeah. But it's still a good. You yeah. know, it's a good rock album, really. But um. And, and you know what? I would have made her my girlfriend back in the day. Well, I considering when this album came out, what year did this album come out? This album came out in 1977. I was six years old. So I was six and seven years old. Considering have being my girlfriend Linda Ronja would, would have been thrown <laughs> in jail, but. <laughs> But it, will, but, um, it would have been well worth but it. But let's get into Lena Ronstadt here. Yeah. Um, you know, she gets a lot of criticism because she didn't write songs. But right. this woman, I've heard her cover so many people's songs, and I've heard so many original, the original versions by the original songwriters do these songs. Right. This is the Buddy and Holly Linda song, Ronstadt by the way. blows them all away. Yeah, this is a Buddy Holly song. Yeah. We're talking Buddy Holly. Yeah. One of the greatest foundations well, of rock. She, loves, she did several Buddy Holly right, songs. Right, she did. But, um... I can't. Oh God, I can't remember. Was it Emmy Lou or was it Dolly Parton? One of them said, but that's about Linda Ronstadt, and I think it pretty much is the epitome of it. it said, Linda Ronstadt could sing the song, could sing the phone book, <laughs> and turn it into a brilliant piece of work. And she was. She just had a wonderful, amazing voice. 
Simple and Dreams. The album, though, this album here, it's got It's So Easy, it's got Blue By You, Poor Poor right. Pitiful Me, her remake of Tumbling Dice is on this record. Um, does have a few uh, hidden gems on it that aren't the hit singles off it. One song's called I Never Will Marry, which is a, a traditional... Which she never did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, she's got... It's a, it, Linda Ronstadt's a big part of my childhood because my mom had all her records and I was just a fan of just... I grew I'm up. I grew up. I grew up listening to these. I grew up listening to this. Woman. No, I love Linda Ronstadt. I, I just put. I, I can say that I kind of grew up with Linda Ronstadt. Right. She was a. Her, her songs were always on in the car when we went on trips to the beach or wherever the hell we went. Um, to me, long, long time is still one of her greatest songs. That's ever. off her. That's off her. Her, so, her second solo record. Which but simple so dreams. Close. What do you think of that record? Um, of all her output in the 70s there, it's, it might be number three or four. It's a good record. I mean, I would definitely recommend it. It's, you can't it's go a, wrong. It's, it's a good effort. No, it's not just a good record. It's a good re- It's a very good record. Number 71. And we both agree that this was a shit record, except for this song. I can barely hear it. Oh. <laughs> okay, this is Angie. The number one song by the Rolling Stones off a record called Goat's Head Soup. Exactly. And if you get Goat's Head Soup and you play Angie, you've heard all you need to hear. Exactly. This is a very lousy record by the Rolling Stones. It's a very shit record by the Rolling Stones. So, but 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 to me, but to me, that just kind of runs par for the course. You know, they were they were one of those bands that you know, I mean, they were one of those bands that that kind of were like riding on their own coattails from the 1960s. You know, and and they were just out putting a bunch of crap. Yeah. yeah, I didn't care for their shit. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you've heard this record. This album also has. A, if you just want to know what else is on this record, it does have another uh, moderate hit on it called "Do Do 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 Heartbreaker." Um, <laughs> also on this record is another song which they which became a concert staple. There's everybody likes it because it's got foul language. The song's called "Starfucker." Mick Jagger used to like to prance around with a big inflated dick on stage while singing it, but um, nah, I I, I can, it's it's not it's definitely not a necessity. It only sold a lot of records because of its notoriety being the Rolling Stones. It's a lousy record. Uh, it, it, you know the the and again we were talking off air before you know we went on and stuff. I I've tried I've really tried with the with the Rolling Stones and I just I just I just mm-hmm. can't. I just there's just nothing. There's just nothing that yeah. that really that really drives me, you know. Yep, and there's nothing more to say. Move on. Move so on. we're at number. <laughs> s- about to go into number sixty-nine, but this is number seventy, and this was an album that we were talking about before uh, before we went on air, and you were like, "Yeah," but I, I kind of disagree with you. So let's kind of talk about it. This blonde's have more fun. No, this is Footloose and Fancy oh, Free. Okay. This got hot legs. Exactly. Um, you're in my heart. Yes. Yeah. Okay. For those of you who don't know, it's a my in my heart is probably the most famous song on this record. Mm-hmm. That's one Rod Stewart, by the way. Right. Which is a great fucking record, but hey, what are you gonna do? Um, Rod Stewart. I mean, look, we know that he sold out to the whole disco thing, and you know, I mean. What what do you what do you what do you have to say? I had the pleasure of <laughs> attending a Rod Stewart concert in nineteen eighty two. And you just rolled your eyes when you said that. <laughs> no, I didn't roll my eyes. No, I, I will say I attended the Rod Stewart concert in nineteen eighty two. 
again with my mother, my sister. Um, I was about 11 years old mm-hmm. at the time I saw the show, and it was disturbing. Rod Stewart comes out on stage wearing leopard skin tights, a pink shirt that said cruel but fair, and he was wearing a visor. Uh-huh. Or as George Carlin, our great George Carlin, would describe it as half a hat. Right. But um, <laughs> but let me put it, this concert was full of 40 to 50-year-old women just screaming their heads off. Right. So it was disturbing. But let's just talk about Rod Stewart. <laughs> Rod Stewart, I like a lot of Rod Stewart's music. His hits, I like a lot of his hit songs. I would give it that much, you know. Right. Um, but I don't... <laughs> Sorry, Rod. I don't view you as much of, really much of a serious artist. <laughs> you were kind of the guy. You just went out there. You know, you did what you... And I'll say the same thing. I love ACDC, but I don't view them in a serious mode. They were, You just went out and did what you wanted to do. You just wanted to kind of rock out. You wanted to have DC fun. ACDC was rocking out. But Footloose and Fantasy yeah. Free is like this. It was this follow-up to every every picture tells a story. No, it wasn't. Because that came out in the early 70s. This was, this was later 70s. This was mid-70s. What year did this come out? 75. 75? 75. Okay. okay. So I thought it was later, but no. okay. And, 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 and we're but talking. That, but but the, every picture I told came out in 71. So I know right. he had some output between that. He did. But but we're talking about a we're talking okay so I, I think the thing with Rod Stewart is that he he tried to be relevant and then he figured out hey you know what disco selling right now so I'm gonna do do you think I'm sexy and and so well, that was in yeah in the later series sold up but I mean I don't view him I don't think Rod Stewart tried to be a serious artist I think Rod Stewart you don't think so come on he sang with Jeff Beck. And he well, that, was in, with the that was in his that was his early stage. I think by the time Rod Beck, when he man. broke out on his own as a solo guy, I think he just wanted to kind of be the guy that had fun. Come on, Maggie that, May is not a great song. No, Maggie May is a great song, and it's off a great album. That's off of every picture has a tell exactly. story. That's a great album. Yeah, no, Maggie May is a great song, but I'm talking about when as Rod that was his that was his first solo output. By the way, when he broke from so the Footloose and Fancy Free is shit to you. I'm not gonna say it's shit. It's just I'm not gonna say it's great. I just think it's. It's epitome of what Rod Stewart is—a guy just having fun. I'll I think that's him. what Rod Stewart was out to do. He wasn't out to make it. I think by the time he he broke out solo, and that's kind of what he kind of went. He if you just follow his solo output from the mid '70s into the '80s, he kind of just went along with what was the thing at the time. He was just he just making—he's out to making some money, but he just wanted to have fun. And when I saw him in that, and that's what I'll say. When I saw him in that concert. He it was a great performance. He was a great performer, but and he a, was and he was giving the audience well. He was giving the chicks all the the middle aged housewives what they wanted, which was <laughs> seeing you know this guy with the you know skinny guy with the, you know with in tight leopard pants. But that ninety was off. yours. <laughs> it wasn't mine. <laughs> all right, number sixty nine, okay. which is everybody's favorite number ever, and this is most this is most appropriate. You ready? Mm-hmm. Are you fucking ready? I'm ready. Slow Hand by Eric Clapton. 1979. 79? 78, I'm sorry. 78, okay. That's about right, yeah. Right, so so what do you think of this record? And I have this on vinyl, and I know you and I, I have heard too. it. Yeah, I have it too. What do you think? This album, I have to give it some thought because I'm trying to, because, of course, you know, he had his two solo breakthroughs in the 70s which was this one then prior to that a few years before this one he put out the 461 Ocean Boulevard exactly right this one gets a slight edge to me over the Ocean Boulevard record 
Because Ocean Boulevard, okay, El both albums clapped and goes into new territory because he's more known as a blues influence guy. Absolutely. Course, Ocean Boulevard, he kind of broke out, you know, with I Shot the Sheriff. He did the reggae thing. Right. Of course, this one with, you know, Lay Down Sally, he kind of breaks off into the country mold. So you got to appreciate both. But I kind of give this one a little bit of an edge because... 461, because this is when, when, of course, if you listen to Layla with Derek and Domino's. Of course. This slow hand is when, when Eric had his girl. Exactly. <laughs> that he was, that he lost on right, Layla. because he has Wonderful Tonight yeah. on this song, yeah. and he's got Cocaine on this yeah, song. Yeah, this is him this kind album. of, I think, at a period of, of Clapton and a period of tranquility and happiness. Right. I, I, I think to but, me, as far as, aside from Layla, which didn't make the top 100, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aside from Layla, this is probably his top album. Yeah. You know? And, hey, I gave it a slight edge over the Ocean Boulevard album. I like 460 Ocean like Boulevard. So, but it's a number 69, which is a good album. It's a good mm -hmm. record. It's a, it's a good effort. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going, we're moving now to number 68. You, you, you're good right now? You're, you're having a good time? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm thinking we're talking so much. I mean, we might have to break this into two episodes. That's a big Do 50 fine. and then the other 50 afterwards. But let's keep going. Let's see how far we get. That was my wire. All right. one fire again. Yes, it is, sir. Which one album is this one? This is an album called All in All. What else is on this record? Not any big hits. Because I gotta got say, I don't think I've heard this album. So no, it's a, it, I've heard this album, and it had no big hits on it. But man, it's a if you want, if you yeah, want, it's always one of fire. You already hear off the bat, it's already kicking ass when but, it starts off. Well, so. yeah, but that's this is my favorite this one in fire album. It's called All in All, and it's it, and, and I'll comment on this one. Man, they on this one they just forgot about fucking trying to do singles. They just went for a whole. I mean, it's it's almost. It's almost like a like a Pink Floyd album where every every song kind of interacts with the other one mm -hmm. at the at the very end. Fuck what year did this come out? This came out in nineteen. Hold on, let me check it out. This came out in shit nineteen seventy seven. Okay. And and it was to me it was like. Well, it's one album I have to look up. It's all right. Kicks ass. Kicks ass from the start. So. The, 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 the Earth, Wind, and Fire was awesome, dude. Yeah. I remember I was having... But I got to say, I haven't heard this record, so I can't say too much on it other than Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, it kicks ass. I mean, listen to it. I was I was talking to this one guy one time um, who um, who uh, told me, why is Earth, Wind, and Fire in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I'm like, you, you obviously haven't heard their shit. All in all, to me, is their best album. That is like the shit. Because they didn't go for hit songs or anything. I thought they were just going for a fucking great record. And anybody, if you want to start your funkadelic move into 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 70s funk and, and, and soul, this is the record you want to get to. My opinion. Shall we move on, sir? Let's move on. I can't say too much other than I haven't heard. But this sounds like it kicks ass from the Fuck start. Yeah, it does. Great. Number 67. What is this? Okay, this is Darkness on the Edge of Town, yeah. Right. Which, to me, is my favorite Boss album. This is Bruce Springsteen. Yes, sir. Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, this album's not known for any major hit singles it off of it, by the way. came out in 1978. Um, I do have this album, which I... 
as far as the 70s output goes, let me see, you got Asbury Park, uh, Remember, you also have Born to Run. run, This one, yeah. So he had four albums in the 70s. This actually might be his best output. I, I, I really love this album. I really love Of the this. 70s. Yes. This output of the 70s. That's just a great fucking record. I think this is a phenomenal record. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it, I, th- I think that's where everything came together from. This came out, I believe, after Born to Run. And Born to Run was his breakthrough. But this is the album where he actually where he actually got it together. Mm-hmm. Where, Excuse me, shit. Where everything just came together as far as like mm-hmm. what the epitome and the sound mm-hmm. of Bruce Springsteen was going to be. And keep in mind, this it. is three albums away from Born in the USA. Which right. Is, you know, which is considered his best. But because after this, he would do The River and he would do Nebraska. Yes. And then. Nebraska, which is one yeah. fucking awesome. What year did that come out? 82. Ah, so this yeah, is The a, River this came artist. out in 80, the Nebraska in 82, then 84, he broke out with Born in the yeah. USA. But, but this to me is. Darkness on the Edge of Town is the shit. Mm-hmm. You want to listen to a really great fucking songwriter reaching, not yet at his peak, but reaching this fucking peak, mm-hmm. this is the record. And and uh, number 69, do you think that that's where it should be? For ourselves, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it was... This was this was actually his follow-up to Born to Run. Absolutely. So, yeah, this is kind of him. This is, this is his start. This is his start of his takeoff. So do you believe that this record... That's coming up was better than Darkness at the Edge of, uh, on the Edge of Town. This album? No, do, okay. The following record. Do okay. you believe the following record was better? Play it. Um, this is Sticks again. This is this is <laughs> what Pieces of Eight. Yes, sir. Okay, we. That's all we need to say. This is not Pieces of Eight. It's called Pieces of Crap, and we can move on. Uh, I, I I agree with you. You know, I I. We saw. We said all we need to say about Sticks. Dude, I, I, <laughs> Buster Bang said all we need to hear about sticks. Not pretty much a pizzle. Listen to this. Play it. To me, this is just a fucking band that's trying to rock out that can't rock out. When I watched the VH1 special behind the music about sticks, Tommy and Tommy Shock had the audacity to say this. He ripped on Dennis DeYoung because right. Dennis DeYoung was writing all these ballads. And he says, you know, he was in the he was out there reaching out in the Barry Manilow territory while I wanted to do kick ass songs like Too Much Time on My Hands. And he came up with this shit. Yeah. So this is Tommy Tommy Shaw's version of Kick Ass. Hold it up, play it up there. Let people hear kick ass rock. <laughs> I've heard pieces of eight. And you know what I did during it? I should have gone and jerked off in the bathroom because I think I would have gotten a little more for my money. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Number 67. No, no, I'm sorry. Number 65. Ready? Mm-hmm. Minute by Minute by the Doobie Brothers, 1979. Absolutely, sir. This is the Michael McDonald period. As yes, you can sir. hear the synthesized piano, and you're about to hear the blue-eyed soul voice of... <laughs> Michael McDonald kick in here. I think his eyes were brown. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, what's uh, your view of the, uh, the Doobie Bros? To me, they should have never been in the fucking Hall of Fame. You know what? I mean, I got lots of other things to do than listen to a Doobie Brothers record. <laughs> Clean the toilets. Um, <laughs> no. What else? Get my testicles lifted. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not again. Dewey Brothers. I can. 
I can do without. All right. So this band broke up in August of 1970, although they had been broken up pretty much before that. But they come in at number... Come in at number... 64 for the 1970s best-selling albums. Oh, just let it be. Yes, it is, sir. Yeah. Um... People view it as the last Beatles record, but really Abbey Road is the last Beatles record because yes, they actually sir. recorded this before the Abbey Road album. Yes, sir. And quite frankly, I mean, I Let It Be is not a bad album, but I mean, you know what? It's just more fitting for Abbey Road to be their swan song. But... Let me ask you this. This album was recorded or allegedly produced by one Phil Spector, but then like years later, they took all the specterization of the album. They had an album mm-hmm. called Let It... Let it be naked. naked yeah. yeah, and it was a for me a far better record. Yeah, you know because it was a lot more. It was a lot rawer, mm-hmm. and so there you go. Yeah. What, what do you what do you think of the the that one to this? And for a band like the Beatles to have this as their last number one album mm-hmm. to you know, it's it, I studio mean studio output. They had other number ones, but they're compilations and anthologies. But. Right, but this is number sixty four in the nineteen seventies, and this was released in nineteen seventy. Yeah, what do you think of that? Well, it's going to sell because it's the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, well... I mean, to me, it's just not... I mean, I like it. Well, that same year, this song came out. This is uh, your album at number... Uh, let me see where... This is your album at number 63. Ah, Paranoid. Yes. Black Sabbath. Yes. 1972? 1970. 70, really? 1970. Okay. What do you think of Black Sabbath? And this particular album? This is a great album. This is a great album. And the way I'll describe this is what I would say about Black Sabbath. Of course, Ozzy Osbourne was their lead singer in right. the early days. Ozzy Osbourne left the band to do a solo career and was replaced by one Wani James Dio. <laughs> but let's just put it this way. Ozzy Osbourne as a solo artist, in my view, sucks. <laughs> Black Sabbath without Ozzy right. sucks. Right. So Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne, they needed each other. Well, because you put this together. I mean, you put the two of them together. I mean, they 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 put out. They had some great records. Well, true. I, uh, you know what? I can't remember what the guy with the big ass fucking goatee beard from Anthrax's name is, but. I agree with what he said. It's not important either. His name it, is Ian something. I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but uh, but I agree with what he said. He said after the Beatles, the first five albums of, by by Black Sabbath were probably the most important albums of that era. Mm-hmm. And I have to agree with it. As far as music, go, as far as rock music goes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Fuck yeah. You listen to the first five records of Black Sabbath; those were masterpieces. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. But Paranoid in particular, because mm-hmm. this was the one that actually broke him into the American yeah. market. Never, yeah, and everybody knows Paranoid, but my favorite song of the album is actually called War Pigs. War Pigs, but my favorite is actually called one called Something Caravan. I forget what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's but this record as a whole, mm-hmm. because the original Black Sabbath album is really... If you want to talk about the first, not only heavy metal record, but probably the first goth record <laughs> ever done... Look up the first, the first uh, uh, paranoid or the first Black Sabbath album. If you want to look about a masterpiece of fucking rock music, to me far better than any Led Zeppelin album. 
you look a paranoid. That's what I say. Good point. Is that, uh, do you Nothing concur, up. sir? Yeah, I concur. Do you concur? I concur. What's, what's the next one? Number 62. Ready? Mm-hmm. This is CCR. Correct. I'm trying to think of the album it's off of. I mean, I have all their records, so outside of Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> think of a bicycle. This is Cosmos Factor. This is Cosmos Factor. That's 70s? That's I thought that came out in 69. 1970. Okay. What, well, do you think, what do you think of them? For me, Cosmos Factor is their second best record. I, 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 I still is hold... Is right, huh? I hold very... Steadily to um, to Bayou Country is my favorite. Right. Then I would say this one, Green River. That's like my top three CCR, but I love CCR. Oh, well, CCR I is just... fucking great. I, I remember when you and I went to go see John Fogarty with my with my dad and my ex-father-in-law. And you, I remember exactly what you said. <laughs> For a 72-year-old dude? Well, he was in his 60s, actually. Oh, so yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I said I told him that a guy he's 60 years at the time Fogarty was about 60, 61 years old. I said this 60 year old guy out rocked any 20 something today. He was kicking yeah, ass that night, man. You know, mid 2000, 2005, 2006 that we saw him. Yeah, yeah, he was kicking ass, right? But yeah, it was a kick ass show, and he's still and he's still out there performing. He's in his 70s now. In fact, he was born the day after my mother, same year, 1945. Really? My mom was born on May 27th. He's born on May 28th. Wow, did your grandfather may have known uh, Mrs. Fogarty? I don't know. John Fogarty is a relative of mine. I mean, <laughs> I did nothing to fucking yeah. sneeze at my friend. No, but All no. Right. Um, yeah, CCR, great band, and that's 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 to a me, great record. To me, CCR ranks in probably about the top three greatest mm-hmm. American bands ever. Oh. You know, there you go. And, and and I grew up, and I and I have a great appreciation for them because my that's my father's favorite band. And so on Sunday mornings when my father would wake us up at 7, 8 in the morning to clean up the house and blast this shit, I wasn't complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and so so, so we're talking about uh, Cosmos Factory. But better album? That their best? You said that's your second best. Uh, I said, I'm maybe second or third. I mean, again, for me, it's always by, for me, CCR, the best album they put out was Bayou Country. That's probably true for me, too. Then you got Cosmos Factory, you got Green River, you got their debut. Right. Then huh? then they kind of started tail off and they did like Pendulum. Well, I still like like Willie and the Poor Boys. Willie and, and the, the Poor Boys, yeah, that's yeah, the one yeah. that came out before this one. Right. Okay, that's another good record, right. yeah. All right. It so was he, pretty much, I think it was just a, the, the worst one, of course, was Mardi Gras. But the one I put out before Mardi Gras was called Pendulum, Pendulum which, was, yeah. which would you kind of start to see, I think, where Fogarty was starting to kind of lose this thing. Then Mardi Gras is where they all had an input. Well, and, they started to fucking tune out. Yeah. All right. Another live album, and I've heard this. And I have to listen to audience cheer for like five minutes before the damn song starts. Oh, this is Four Way Street. Right. What do you think of this? This is with Neil Young, by the way. Yeah, I act. This is one of the few live albums I do own. I do own this record. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Four Way Street. Right. Opens up with the ending of Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, exactly, by the way. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Kind of but um, for a live album, it's good. I mean, you kind of capture the essence of the the pure harmonies of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, that the fact is that it just wasn't studio magic, that these guys actually 
had brilliant harmonies when they took the stage live, so... I think it's one of the best fucking live albums I ever heard, to be honest with yeah. you. You know, um, I I, um, I remember when I first bought it and I heard it, I was like... I, <laughs> and I bought this in junior high. I was thinking to myself, oh, shit, you know, I don't want to tell my friends I fucking dig folk. <laughs> <laughs> But 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 for a live album, and I mean, and you know, and you know this personally from me that I'm a huge Crosby, Stills and Nash fan. I, I love them. I, I you know, as a matter of fact, uh, the week after 9/11, we went to go see them. Yeah. You know, and the and theater, uh, yeah. and that was um, that was that was a hell of a thing for me. So mm-hmm. you know, because I'm I'm a huge fan. Yeah, and then less than a year later, we saw them at the uh, Pond of Anaheim with Correct. Neil Young brought in the mix, and it was in. And both shows were great, but the Neil Young show when they, it, you know, Neil Young brought an extra kick to it. Jesus so. Christ, he was like that yeah. fucking that, that, that spice of jalapeno you throw on a taco, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and of course, we were kind of concerned because yeah, nine eleven happened on a Tuesday, and the Crosby, Stills and Nash concert we had tickets for was on the following Sunday, and we were kind of worried it might be canceled. But they, fortunately, you know, in the words of Graham Nash, he found it most appropriate to it's most appropriate to carry on with the show. And, well, four way street, and it was a great show. I mean, four, four way street. street Good live album. Like I said, I think what I like about it is that you you listen to the album, you kind of hear that the the, the harmonies, the, the those perfect harmonies that they had, were not just magic in the studio. They they, they did it live. And of course, we saw it live twice on stage. Yes. With them in their sixties at that point. No being, shit. Being, you know, showing you know that the, these these guys truly had something magic together. I mean. They were great. Three I, guys and three different three different bands. You know, the Birds, the Buffalo Springfield, and the Hollies come together, and there you go. These guys were just yeah, they were they're, they're brilliant together, and that's all. And, and, what can you say? Well, when I when I uh, I bought Four uh, Four Way Street after we saw them at the pond, and it reminded me of that little section where they did the whole acoustic thing, where they just kind of went acoustic for about forty minutes, and I was like, damn, they, they still fucking got it, man. This is fucking awesome. All right. So, so we highly recommend Four Way Street. Mm-hmm. Number 60. You ready? Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a... What the fuck are you doing? Sorry. Stop fucking looking up shit on your phone. Here. This is Neil Young. This is... Is this Harvest? Or yes, is it this? is, sir. Okay. Harvest is a great album. It's his only number one album as a solo artist. But, but not my I favorite. got to give an edge to the the album he put out before it, which was after the Gold Rush. I I, I agree, but, but this you... also has his number one single. People most know Heart of Gold is on this record. Right. He's got another song on there that's kind of cool. It's called A Man Needs a Maid or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because you're a male chauvinist. <laughs> not a male chauvinist. You're a male chauvinist, dude. Get out of here with that. But okay, so. By the way, who's singing backup on this song? None other than the great Linda Ronstan mm-hmm. and uh, the semi okay <laughs> James Taylor. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, the semi okay James Taylor. The, the semi, the semi okay James Taylor. He's he's a igibla. Hold on here. <laughs> okay, I'm making fun. No, I'm not making fun. I like Neil Young. I like this song. Well, I I I like Neil Young. Period. So this is number what? 
Right here is number... I know what album this is before I get into it, but what number is it at? We're in our 50s. This is number 59. This is Charlie Rich, Behind Closed Doors. I'm glad that I'm glad that a lot of people bought country albums at that yeah. time because you I, I mm-hmm. mean you and I this have, album you and I have not been shy about the fact I talk that we about, that, that we like country music yeah I talk about soundtracks of my childhood hearing songs um, this was an album that was actually a staple in my home because to explain I grew up in a home my, my dad was a jazz and country guy my dad loved country. My dad loved jazz. My mom, on the other hand, was a rocker. She was a 50s rock and roller. But yet, they both loved this record. And I just remember hearing this 8-track this in my dad's truck, this 8-track in my mom's Trans Am. This was... I can't tell you how many times I heard this album growing up. Behind Closed Doors, his number one pop single, too, the uh, Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Got other songs like Take It On Home. Is, is that on this Sunday record? Kind of Woman, yep. Oh, we'll play that a little bit. I, I have a sentimental spot in my heart for this album, but Charlie Rich wasn't a country artist. He was actually an old blues type guy, blues boogie woogie piano player type guy. And he, in the seventies, he decided to kind of branch out into the country thing, and he had but a he, lot yeah, of success. Yeah, because he went into that Texas woogie boogie kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So there you go. I, I've I've heard this record. As a matter of fact, I heard it with you. Yeah, because I have it. I right. Heard it, yeah. We heard. I heard it with you, and I was like, damn. And so I got it. It's in my fucking collection somewhere. And then, and um, I. I just got to say, as far as like, considering that we're going down a list of the best selling records, you know, we're going down a list that that is categorizing this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that people bought this record in the '70s because it's yeah. a really fucking terrific album. It really is. All he right, had a great voice for country. I mean, you know. well, he did. I like the fact that he burned John Denver's name when. <laughs> yeah, the, just a quick anecdote here. Charlie Rich was actually the presenter at the 1976. Um, Country Music Association Awards when they were announcing the uh, the top prize of the year, which was uh, Entertainer of the Year. Um, the winner, as he opened the envelope, he saw that the winner was John Denver. But instead of saying the winner is John Denver, John he looked he looked at the envelope, dug into his pocket, took out a cigarette lighter, and lit the uh, card on fire. <laughs> and he said, "Winner is my friend John Denver." <laughs> and John Denver wasn't in the audience. He was actually on a satellite hookup, so he couldn't see. He could hear what was going on, but he couldn't see it. And John Denver was all smiling, going, yes. oh, wow, this is such an honor. Yet Charlie Rich was there holding a burning card with his name <laughs> on it. <laughs> Charlie Rich, of course, later apologized, said, I was kind of tipsy on the stage. I've been drinking all night, having some fun. and Just like a yeah. cool-ass cool <laughs> yeah. country star. But uh, what are you going to say, you know? Number 58. Is this Eagles' greatest hits or one of these nights? One of these nights. Well, we've had this talk. Yes. When, when we first started working together, when we first got to know each other, we had. We're kind of setting our ways about who our favorite bands were. Yours Absolutely. was the Beatles. It Mine still is. was strictly the Eagles. Still is, yeah. Um. I love the these, Eagles, though. Yeah. One of these nights. As this a, was their a, first a, number one album. As a matter of fact, Soccer Mom's a huge fucking Eagles fan too. So yeah, she's a keeper then, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. I I, I concur. Yeah. I concur. But uh, regardless from that, aside from that, um, this album it's a nine-track album. It has three uh, hit singles on it. Two number one singles. One of these nights in Lion Eyes. Right. And the number three hit right here. Take it. Lion to the Eyes went to number one. Oh no, Lion Eyes went to number two. That's what I was saying. Uh, one of these nights were number one. Lion Eyes yeah. went number two. This was a number four hit. I'm sorry. Okay. 
So these are your four, your three hit singles off this record. It has also another song on there called Too Many Hands. I country, love that song. Yeah, country bell called Hollywood Waltz. It's got After the Thrill is Gone. Right. Which um, is one of my favorite yeah. Eagle songs. Um, the one song Don Felder sings lead vocal on is on this uh, album called Visions. But um, the album, aside from the hit singles, is actually pretty mediocre. It is. Mm-hmm. Because it has James Dean or no, no that's, that's not, not on that's, the border, that's yeah. other one, yeah. Yeah. But 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 um, I think this was just this period where they're kind of trying to figure this is, it out. Keep in mind, this is their this is their this is the last album they did with their country influence in the band Bernie Ledden, who left after this record. Right. And they would bring in Joe Walsh, and of course their next album would be Hotel California. Right. But this, it's not a bad album. Um, I do like the Hollywood Waltz and Too Many Hands, but After the Thrill Is Gone. But it does have I Wish You Peace. Yeah, which the is Don not Felder a very good song. song, which you can understand, Don Felder was more of a great guitar player rather than a vocalist. Um, and it has a, it has an instrumental track on it too that Bernie Ledden and his brother wrote called <laughs> "Journey of the Sorcerer." Yeah, which you kind of seem to like. I thought. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting little six minute piece of music, but you know. Yeah. But All like right. I said, this is kind of where you see this. This is kind of the Eagle Swan song in their their country rock phase before they kind of went. Well, hmm. before they wanted to rock out. Yeah. But but they needed a Don Felder who yeah. they got anyway. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. All right, I cannot believe that this band outsold any Eagles record, but we're gonna go with it at number fifty-seven with this piece of crap. And if you guys disagree with us, please DM me. Let us know what you guys think of our opinions of music. But to us, this. This is a really crappy album to me. You, have you figured it out yet, Gary Ramsey? I'm still waiting. Waiting for it to kick in. I can say it sucks. <laughs> Who is it? That's Aerosmith's uh, album oh, called Rock. Okay, let's just move on. We talked about the. <laughs> Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, Poor Man's Rolling Stones. Leave it. I I do not like Aerosmith. Really? That's all you got to say. What else is on this record? Is this like Walk This Way or what? What is no, it? No, I'm not a fan. So so the album after this, because I'm not a big fan of Aerosmith either. Okay, yeah. So he's, yeah, so yeah. number fifty six is this. This is Steve Miller. This is Fly Like an Eagle. Yes, sir. Every time I hear this song, I just picture like the, the, the internal vaginal cameras showing the sperm <laughs> traveling up the fallopian tube, and I hear this song playing. <laughs> do, 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 and then the little sperm swimming its way, trying to make its way to the ovaries. But then it dies along the way, slipping, slipping, slipping. And I don't like Steve Miller. I'm, I'm just sorry. I just I don't get it. Come on, dude. I'm not. I'm not a fan either. I never have been. Didn't Seal do a remake of this? He did, and it was a lot better. Than this. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, but I, 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 I'm, I'm just at a loss. I don't understand the appeal of Steve Miller. I'll do respect Steve Miller. I just, I don't get it. Well, I, I'm a guitar player, as you know, and I've always thought to myself, this man was taught by one of the greatest fucking guitar players that ever lived. And this is what he plays? You know? Because... Yeah. I mean, where's the, where's the guitar work? This is like a total synthesizer song. But even the songs that have the guitar work, it's like the guitar work is just... 
So, all right, let's, uh, so, we're, so we're moving on, right? You're not recommending any Steve Miller band at number 56. Uh, not, I'm not a, not a huge fan, no. Number 55, surprisingly making their first appearance on this countdown. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is Led Zeppelin. The song remains the same. Of course, they have... Led Zeppelin's song remains the same. Um, I'm not impressed, at least the footage and what I've heard on live albums, I'm not impressed with Led Zeppelin's sound live. Right. Um, Led Zeppelin, but I say this, of course, in a biased way, because I have to say Led Zeppelin is a mixed bag band for me. I like their, I like their debut... I really like Zeppelin 2. I hate Zeppelin 3. Zeppelin 4 is a pretty great record. Um, after that, it's 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 a really mixed bag. I don't they're up and down. But as far as live performances go, I've never been impressed with any live footage I've seen of Led Zeppelin. I've never have either. This is their this is the soundtrack to Song Remains the Same. Mm-hmm. And like I've always told you, I don't know if Jimmy Page was drunk or what the fuck was going mm-hmm. on. But to me, he was just such an incredibly sloppy player live. It wasn't until later yeah. where he actually sobered up a little bit, where it actually sounded all right. <laughs> and that's why I see it. I think it was the fact that these guys, you know, nobody, it's no secret that Led Zeppelin probably was amongst either, you know, the top three or if not the top debaucherous band of <laughs> all time. And I mean, that includes, you know, the stuff they did with the groupies, but I mean, drinking, the drugs... And all that, and you know what? When you're drinking and you're, and you're high and you're on stage, it shows. And you're and you're not. The, it, the it, perfectionism it, isn't there, and I don't think Led Zeppelin ever strive for perfectionism on stage. No, that's the impression I get. I get from them. The unfortunate thing about number fifty-four is that it's another soundtrack, and yeah, I've heard this too. It's not one of my favorites. As a matter of fact, this movie was remade a hell of a lot better just recently. By Bradley Cooper and uh. Oh, this is a soundtrack of Barbara Streisand Star is Born. Yes, sir. Okay, I not enough said. <laughs> the movie sucked, so the soundtrack sucks. But 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 let me ask you a question. Why did it sell so much? I mean, it was a shit movie. It was a really shit movie. She Barbara Streisand was hot in the seventies. What are you gonna say? When I say she, hot, I'm talking about sales wise. Okay? But she wasn't hot at this time. It's nineteen seventy six. Nineteen seventy eight. 78? Yes. That came out in 76. 78. It was awful. Fuck him. 19... Okay, so now we're going to go to 1976, actually, that this uh, this album came out. So I was right. All right. So 1977, a year later... I was right. Not you were right. I said 76. But anyway, go on. (laughs) I said 76. You said 78. Oh, well, fuck it. It still sucked. Yeah, okay. (laughs) This is still a shit soundtrack. Okay, yeah, 76, 78. It sucks whatever year it came out in. To to the listeners, would you recommend this soundtrack? No. Absolutely not. But would you recommend 1970... uh, Would you you recommend 1977's... Pink Floyd's Animals? Uh, Animals. This is kind of like their... Okay, Pink Floyd. 60s output sucked. Yeah, absolutely. 80s and beyond output sucked, but the 70s. They did five five albums in the 70s. Metal. Metal. Dark Side of the Moon. Absolutely. Wish You Were Here, Animals and the Wall. This came out before before Wish You Were Here. Yeah, this no, this came out before the wall. This this is between Wish You Were Here and Animal. Was it? Yeah. It's Wish still, you were here it's, my, it's, it's my favorite Pink Floyd album. Actually. Really? It is. I love okay. this album. 
To me, this was kind of like their, their hidden gem. People don't talk about it much. Not a lot. It's a strong album. Um, but as I said, Pink Floyd sucks in the 60s, sucks after the 70s. In fact, they pretty much suck starting at side four of the wall. But <laughs> well, well that, that's what I pointed out to yeah. you. I told you that that's why I don't like the wall. Mm-hmm. I, I like the wall for three sides, but that fourth side, what I'm the sure fuck is that? I'm sure the wall's coming up later in time. But hey, this hey. album, that put it down, it's, it's a hidden gem. I think it's an album that doesn't... It's rarely talked about amongst the great Pink Floyd albums. doesn't get talked about much, but it's definitely, it's, it is a hidden gem for me. To me, it's my favorite Pink Floyd album. I love this record. I love this record, and I have no, I've always said so. I think it's just an amazing fucking record. Anybody who hasn't heard it should do themselves a favor and, and get this record. Number 52. You ready? Mm-hmm. News of the World by Queen. Yes, sir. 1977. Yes, sir. So Queen had Queen 1, Queen 2, Sheer Heart Attack. Right. Then they started taking off in 75 with Night at the Opera, followed up by A Day at the Races in 76. And in 1977, they put out this album. Yes, sir. Which is actually the first Queen album I ever owned. Believe it or not, before yes, before Night at the Opera. No shit. And it is, it's a great album, start to finish. Night at the Opera was the first one I ever owned. Yeah. This is a great album, start to finish. Um, it's Better got, than course, Night at the Opera? I give it an edge to the Night at the Opera. That's what I do too. Yeah. Um, but this has got, you know, the course the hit singles everybody would know was We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions. Right. Got other great songs like um, Spread Your Wings is on this one. Yes. Um, Get down, make love. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, st- strong album. I get... Well, I mean, they're two great albums. Mm-hmm. My personal preference is Night at the Opera, although yeah. I will say News of the World is probably a close second. Yeah. It, it, it really is. It's a fucking terrific yeah. album. The album scares the, the album cover scares the shit out of Stewie Griffin, though. <laughs> well, if you watch Family Guy, Stewie Griffin had nightmares after seeing the right. cover for News of the World, which is, which is a big robot. Holding the yes. members of Queen bloody in his hand, so. <laughs> but why not? It's all right. <laughs> uh, to me, it's a great strong yeah. album. I mean, it's a continuation to me from what Night on the Opera was, but it, but, it, races, yeah. I'm, but 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 I'm sorry, yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't lean too much on a lot of the theatrics of, of mm-hmm. the prior to. It's more of a rock album than yeah. anything else. Exactly. This is where Queen kind of went from that operatic sound to the and kind of show sound to actually it is it's actually i think their first out and out balls out rock record yeah i agree, I agree. 1978 number we're at number hold on we're at number we are at number 51 we're about to go into the 40s sir ready mm-hmm <laughs> My father bought this record. <laughs> this is called Blondes Have More Fun. Exactly. And, and, and I, I, gotta, I, gotta admit, I gotta admit, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was a good record. <laughs> it's a, it's Again, basically it's, a disco album, is what yeah. it is. It's With, Rod Stewart doing what Rod Stewart does best having fun. But, but it's and, a disco album. Yeah. It's a disco album, it's what it is. And I mean, I, I, I gotta admit, for the time, I thought it was pretty alright, you know? Yeah. Rod Stewart having fun. He's not trying to do anything artistic. He's not trying to make a bold statement. 
Rod Stewart just having fun. I mean, I remember reading a little an article about this album. And Rod Stewart refers to this record as saying this is just him coming out as a very horny lad. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> so, what are you gonna say? I mean, okay. I mean, I just want to say. I just want to say I'm coming out on this album as a, as a very horny lad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's having fun. And let's just leave it at that. <laughs>